Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. So check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. Buenos dias, world, from the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance. I'm Marco Wint. And I'm Rick Schwartz. And we're your hosts for Season 3 of Amazing Wildlife, a show from iHeartRadio Ruby Studio and the global conservation organization behind the San Diego Zoo and the San Diego Zoo Safari Park. Listen as we dive into the efforts here in San Diego and spotlight the heroes working worldwide to care for the species you know and love. Listen to Amazing Wildlife on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Osiris. Okay, we are live covering night five at the 2023 MSG residency. I'm Brian. That is Megan. Megan, you are, I don't know, at this point in time, show 11 of 14, show 11 of 13. I don't know how many shows you've seen this summer, how many shows you're seeing. You've seen a lot. I think you've seen (laughs) most of this tour. You get a break day today, Thursday, August 3rd. Let's just start with the obvious. How are you doing? How are you feeling? Are you uh, are you alive? Are you awake? Are you <laughs> feeling refreshed in any way? What, what's going on? Definitely not refreshed. Definitely awake. Definitely alive. Um, God, I needed this rest day. Like last night during the show, I was thinking, Brian, that I take pretty good care of myself. Like I exercise yeah. every day. I do yoga like a lot. I lift weights. I do functional training. I run. I don't fuck around. And I am having a hard time keeping up with this band. I don't, mm. you know, it's like it takes a lot dancing every night like this. I'm taking like, I've got like my zinc here. I'm taking my vitamin C. I'm like really like doing it. And I am, it's, it's taking a lot. Um, thanks Rob. I am a party animal. I saw him at our happy hour on Friday and that was really fun. I will admit, I also am having a little bit of fun. So it's a little bit, a little bit. So it's kind of like this balance of like, I'm having a lot of fun. That's really tiring and I'm working a lot, but, um, but it's been great. And I cannot tell you the vibes just continue to be so high at MSG. You know, the concourse around MSG is like, it's like the a donut bar, you know, it's like a donut shaped bar mm-hmm. and everybody's just walking around that 100 level concourse and you're just constantly running into people. And it's so fun. I got to meet Ashley from Groove Safe 
and I've been dying to meet her. And we finally got to meet and we're hoping to work together. So I just wanted to say that it was great to meet her and just meeting so many people that I've been connecting with online and been dying to meet. And it's just, it's been a dream. But also we were talking a little bit about this before we went live. It's also a bit of a blur. It becomes a little bit of a blur. Yeah. I mean, from afar, it is sometimes hard to like conceptualize what all is happening because it's so much music coming at you. And when you're in the midst Mm -hmm. of a summer tour, especially in one venue, you know, if they were doing the, you know, three night run last weekend at wherever, and then two nights, these last two days, and then three nights this upcoming weekend or two nights this upcoming weekend, whatever it is, um, there'd be like a little bit of separation of, okay, this is what it felt like at Alpharetta versus Wilmington versus Philadelphia versus Burgettstown. When it all is at one venue, it's just like, okay, just more music, more music, more music, (laughs) because, you know, in a sense, like that's the beauty of a residency. You don't really get that break of, okay, we defined ourselves at this one place. Now on to the next venue, you're just constantly coming out and playing at that one venue and fish really seems, um, you know, it feels like the combination of the Baker's Dozen, that festival vibe, uh, these eight, nine show tours that they've started to do over the last couple of years. We've got two of them this year, obviously the spring one, and then this upcoming uh, uh, eight show tour in the fall. It just seems like they they work really well in this space. And coming into MSG, same venue, very comfortable again, festival vibe plus like we just got eight shows or seven shows to really showcase ourselves. They seem like they are uh, doing that in in a really stunning way. We are going to cover here uh, last night's show, the fifth show of the MSG residency, August 2nd, 2023. Um, Before we dive into the show, um, we've been talking about this all summer tour, but we are um, closing in on not only the close of summer tour, but also the 10th anniversary celebration of the Helping Friendly podcast, to which, Megan, neither you or I were there at the start, but we've been picked up along for the ride, and it is uh, one of the absolute joys of my life to help host this show and to prepare for this show and listen to all the shows that we talk about and be on the, uh, the, 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 the group chat where we just you know toss out <laughs> so many nuanced moments in fish history and talk about uh, absolute nerdery and uh, and silliness and whatnot and life as well. There's a lot that happens behind the scenes that uh, makes this show run. But Megan, you will be at the 10th anniversary celebration. I will be in the middle of nowhere, Wyoming, while it is happening. Um, I'm very, very sad to miss it. But tell us where we could find you guys, um, what's going to be going down, all that good stuff. Yeah, you will definitely be missed, Brian. And what you were saying about us getting picked up along the way is so true. You're like the 3.0 edition to HF pod and I'm like the 4.0 edition. And it's a, uh, I feel so lucky every day that I got to be a part of this and 10 years, you know, you think about that, that's a really, really long time. And this fall will be coming up on two years since I've been on the pod, which just seems wild to me, but we are going to be on Saturday celebrating 10 years of HF Pod at the Bitter End in New York City. It's going to be 3 to 5 o'clock, and we have an incredible band that's going to play. We've got the Cal Kehoe Band. We also have some special guests in town that are going to be sitting in 
some surprise guests who are playing over the weekend in New York City. So that's the uh, the little teaser there. They're going to be joining us. We're going to have tons of our friends of the pod there hanging out, mingling with us. And we're also lucky enough to have Mike Greenhouse of Relics, who's going to be interviewing us. We'll do a quick recap of the show the night before, and then we will he'll interview us a little bit about the pod, which is going to be really fun. And, and then we're just going to be hanging out and partying. So please get your tickets at OsirisPod.com. Portion of it goes to Waterwheel, and we're also just excited to see tons of people at the bitter end, and can't wait to see everybody there. It's going to be a ton of fun. You guys mm-hmm. uh, are going to throw down, and then we're going to go to the final night of fish uh, here at MSG, August fifth, Saturday night. Um, all right, let's dive into last night's show. Like I said, night five of seven here at MSG. Set one, we kick off with Possum, dedicated to RJB, followed by the first guy, Udi, of 2023, had a 31-show gap. Uh, and then we had a pretty interesting run here. Axel, part two, faded into energy. This was the first energy since the infamous Alpine night three evening, uh, 37 shows ago, not long enough, I, I would say, uh, which segued directly into Meat Stick, on a 16-show gap since the opening night of tour, uh, <clears throat> which segued directly into its ice. On a 10-show gap since 719, Wilmington night two, uh, which faded into Blazon, a very fiery Blazon, um, which was on a six-show gap. That and Axel Part two were the two shortest gaps in that, that first set. So kind of moving way beyond the rotation for this overall first set. But um, Meg, tell me, you were there. Uh, what were your thoughts on the opening stanza here from this show and kind of what were the big highlights for you? Well, on the train ride in, I was actually complaining about Possum and <laughs> then they, they opened the set with it. And I think I texted the group. I was like, I think I like Possum now. Not like I've never not liked it, but it was just such a fun opener to classic like early 90s opener, you know, like opening the show with Possum and just like launching into it. And again, just coming out, Trey just continuing to come out onto the stage every night and say like, I am here and I am not tired at all. <laughs> I am so ready to go. And they just sounded full of energy again, really fun. Um, you know, really perfectly played Gaiuti as someone who's Irish, like of course I like enjoy dancing to this. I get to like do some sort of like weird combination of like Irish jig shuffle dancing that I'm into and like tap dancing. It's just like a very fun old school moment and always good to hear Gaiuti, especially when it sounds like it's been practiced. Like that one really did. Um, but yeah, the whole rest of the second set was super interesting. I'm never going to complain about Axla part two. It's one of my all time favorite songs. I think it's just one of the best rock songs ever written. It sounds it's just so classic sounding, you know, it's just like, I think it really has that kind of like nineties grunge feeling to it in a way that like really works. And I love, I love when they play the song always and energy. It's surprising. This song's only been played 10 times. That surprised me. This was my first one. Yeah. It's an interesting song. Cause it, um, you know, it, it, when it, uh, when it debuted, uh, I believe it was seven five thirteen, mm-hmm. uh, Spack Night One. Um, 
not a lot of people in the moment knew, you know, who was by the Apples and Stereo. And I think a lot of it, it sounded like an, a new Trey song uh, in 2015. It totally does. So and it really kind does. Kind of this perception immediately like, okay, here we go. Debut's already coming in summer 2013. But it was played a couple of times uh, throughout the remainder of the summer tour, notably the uh, Chicago uh, uh, Night 3, 721.13 has a really solid version. And then it was on the back burner until 2019. We've had a couple really cool versions since then. Um, but yeah, last night's version, this whole stretch here from um, energy through meat stick into ice was probably my highlight of the overall show. Um, I was thinking about it when I was listening wow. back this morning. Um, really the biggest thing that like sticks out to me is that like, this is the value of the earworm riff dissected. And it, it reminds mm -hmm. me, I don't want to get blasphemous here so early in the podcast, <laughs> but, um, it harkens back for me, uh, to the 12, 14, 95 Haley's NICU slave, which I know this is holiest of holy fish okay. moments. Um, so we're not comparing, we're just, you know, finding threads of similarities. They find this riff in the early part of energy, um, that builds and builds and builds and then it spills over into kind of a rock peak. Um, yeah. And then they return to it. They figure out a way into meat stick. That's very, I mean, you can't find the break between energy and meat stick. No, it is so good. It's so good because pages since yeah. are employed and then they realize that they can get into there. And then that riff comes back in the meat stick jam. And then the meat stick jam finds its way just perfectly into its ice. It just showcases like, if you find a riff and, and it's amazing for as, as, as showy a guitarist as Trey can be as, as upfront and center of a guitarist as he can be. Oftentimes the best moments in a fish jam are him finding a very simple riff that any guitarist could have found, but mm -hmm. playing around with his effects and playing around with his tone and intermingling that, uh, that, that line with the other uh, members of the band and that sort of stuff when it happens, like it just builds and builds and builds and it's absolutely magic. I, I loved that segment of, of the overall first set. It, um, like I said, it threw me back to some of the best, you know, in a sense, you could call it a micro jam. It doesn't go off the rails and kind of find a new uh, segment to dive into, but it's really focused. It's really tight. It shows immediate creativity. And to me, is kind of the benefit that you get when you're playing regularly in the same building on a night to night basis. Yeah. And you're pushed to like, you know, think about your catalog and your set list in a different way, right? Because you don't yeah. have, like, like you were saying, that frame of like, we're in a new space now. So like we start over, right? It's kind of like when you, when you change locations, you kind of start over in a way. When you don't have that, you have to start kind of like pulling things apart and thinking about how they might go together in, a, in an interesting way. And energy in a meat stick and it's ice. Like I never would have caught that, you know, like no one, no one, would, do <laughs> no that. one yeah, would have yeah. caught that. Like that's just like the strangest thing, but I thought, yeah, they had the energy had this like really bluesy rock and roll jam. I think what you're saying about Trey finding those little licks, he did that a lot in Carini later, which we'll talk about, mm -hmm. but I loved that segue into meat stick. My last one was 2009. I like this song. I feel like this song is just, it's so fun. And is there anything better than like seeing a, thousands and thousands of people do the same stupid dance together? Like it's very cheesy and like, I love it. And like sometimes, you know, you're in New York city, it's day five, you know, of this seven night run, you know, you're tired, you're in an intense place. Sometimes you need to eat some street meat. Like, you know, sometimes it is time this for is a fair. hot dog. Sometimes it's time for the meat stick. Like when we were in Atlantic city last summer, 
And I was working like so hard doing all these HF pot events. And I was also having a good time at night. I didn't have time for food and meals. And I think mm. I ate a hot dog like every day. And I know that is like kind of a little bit of a flex, but I did. And it was definitely like just what the moment called for. And I think the moment called for me to stick last night and I was super here for it. And it was, they had this like a mini jam off the end of it kind of like it was like this dark jam that was yeah and it's the kind yeah it's the kind of thing that happens when they're doing what you're describing where um you're in clearly i mean i'd be surprised at this point in time if there was a repeat just because we've gone five shows and we're dipping out of the rotation and we're having segments like energy meat stick it's ice that strike me as a band that you know is aware of these are the songs that are left in quotes for us to play and um so if you hear something and it sounds like something we've played let's not go there but if you hear something it sounds like something we haven't played and it's super random let's go there and you get these really uh, interesting moments you know you think back to the baker's dozen like powder night set 2 is probably my favorite set of that overall uh run and that whole second set is songs that nobody would have ever paired together in a set list yeah yeah partially because you know nobody thought that they were going to play Mr. Completely in 1999 again but also you know the steam the character zero they have they have a lot of space uh to operate within because mm-hmm. they're kind of you know they're 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 building constraints for themselves in a really cool way by by preventing repeats and you're seeing that again here where you get a segment that you probably wouldn't have gotten in any other setting and you get right here um Big shout out though uh, to Dirty Water Dogs. I had one in October when I was back in New York City, and uh, yes. my God, just just the greatest. As, as a Chicagoan, as a Chicagoan who loves having his hot dog dragged through the garden, um, there is nothing like a Dirty Water Dog. I will say that. Uh, and on, on air, I'm okay. With, I'm okay with the backlash. I won't put ketchup on my hot dog. I can't do Wait, that. What? Um, you don't put ketchup on your. I hot dog? will not put ketchup on my cotton. No, I'm. I'm sorry. I'm. A, I'm a. I'm a what? human who. Uh, who. Who lives in the. What do you put on age. your? We put, mustard. We put mustard. We put mustard. Like yeah. You're not allowed to put creamy. ketchup. Uh, ideally, as neon yellow as you can get. Yeah. Well, yeah. I put tons of ketchup on my hot dog. Like I'm tons. sorry to hear that. My son so does that, and 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 I have to tell him every time he does that that he's not a true Chicagoan. He's like, you're right. I was born in Maryland, and I live in Colorado. I'm not a Chicagoan. Yeah, you for me. You're right. I'm not. I'm actually not at all. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, all um, right. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think that like that's something not to be ashamed of. We can admit that. I think it's fine. Ketchup is disgusting. Ha- what? Jonathan. Have you ever had a, uh, a um, Chicago-style hot dog now that no. we're on the topic? No, yeah, which is ridiculous because I grew up how many hours north of Chicago? Like I really should have. It's, it is a meal. It is a. It is probably the best sandwich on the on the planet, uh, for my ears. But we are getting way off topic, and we okay. haven't even talked about the Blazon, which was a uh, Type One Point Five, if you will, stretched out, mm-hmm. really cool jamming space. Kind of gets into what we're talking about here, where you know you could play a, a fiery eight minute blaze on and then close with, you know, something else. Or, um, you have this alternative here where blaze on has typically been used as a set closer. It's a very good opener. It's a very good closer. It's one of the most versatile songs in fish's, uh, repertoire. Um, you get this version here that kind of does a little bit of both. It goes into space. It has a ton of um, uh, weightlessness and jamming uh, to it. And then it peaks in a really nice way and closes the set really, really strong. What were your thoughts on this? 
I loved it. And I just want to say about the It's Ice before we move on, the way that yes. it emerged out of that meat stick jam was so cool. It just completely came out of the water, like like a sea creature. It was so awesome. And it was really fun in the moment to hear them like kind of like slowly pick up to that pace. And it was great. I loved that. I also thought it was fun how they were teasing Frankenstein. And then you like get that kind of like foreshadowing of the encore, which was really fun. But yeah, I loved this blaze on it. The jam like just kind of glides along really melodic. The peak builds really slowly, but intensely. You know, it's not like one of those peak that's like slowly building gently. It's building, but it's like increasingly getting more and more and more intense. And it has a perfect like set closing peak. This point, um, I was on the Chase Bridge last night, which have you ever been yeah. on the Chase Bridge before? No, but everyone who has been up there has has sung its praises. I've heard nothing but good things about being up there. It's crazy. I'm in a different spot every night that I go to these shows, which has just been mm. awesome. And the Chase Bridge is the sound up there is incredible. You're like right there at the speakers, and then they have like additional speakers as well. And we have so much space to dance and everyone up there is like getting down so hardcore. And the way that you get to the bathroom from there, the women's bathroom, there's like the chase bridge is like this long, you know, thin space. And there's like a, a backwards part of it. And that's all glass that faces the seats, the section 200 behind it. And you have to go down this, like, it, it feels like a runway with like all these people behind you. And so like we were <laughs> dancing down plays on just like, it was like the longest runway in the world, just dancing so big and just having so much fun and then passing everybody that that's dancing on the way. And I was like, this is, this is so fun. Like it, MSG starts to seem like this playground, you know, that you have yeah. like find all these little pockets in that you're like, wow, I've never been here before. I mean, I've been to MSG so many times and I've never danced up here on this runway on the chase bridge. Like it was just, it was really, really fun. My girlfriends and I were just like laughing hysterically, like just having the best time. So it was a really fun way to end the set. And if you've never been on the Chase Bridge at MSG, I would, I would do it once. It's really special. Yeah, I've always um, – there's a comment here from our, our good buddy Brian for over at Attendance Bias that um, he's heard people describe it as a fishbowl, as if you're yeah. outside the show looking in. Did you get that sensation? Totally. You're kind of above it all and pushed okay. out a little bit above the 200. So you're kind of looking down on it, which – you know, it's funny. My friend turns to me and she goes, I'm worried you're not going to like this because I like to be in the stew. You know, I call yeah, it like my favorite. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I like to be like uh, surrounded by everybody and like feel the energy. But I knew I was only doing it for one night. And so I was like, this is this is awesome because I have all this space. And yeah, and we had six of us up there. So it was just a big group of friends. And, and it is fun to see kind of like look down on them. And, you know, there's every time I'm in MSG, I always stop and take moments and kind of like look all the way around and feel like where I am in that moment. And it's especially the best like on the floor because you're just surrounded. But it was cool last night to do that and look around and there's nothing like watching the crowd at MSG. Like it's so fun. So it was yeah. great. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I, I, I've seen a bunch of shows now living out in Denver. I've seen a bunch of shows uh, at the forum, which, um, you know, has that bowl feel to it and and uh you know has that sensation of you walk in and um you get kind of an idea of what msg would have been like kind of before all the all the major renovations that um you know took out that like ring around the center and the uh, there's there's a few there's a few structural differences but the biggest thing that that changes is you really get a sense being in there is like when the lights go out you're like okay i'm in an arena isn't this just like being an msg 
it's not. There is something very special about being an MSG. There's a West Coast vibe to being at a place like the Forum or like the Chase Center where I saw them a couple of years ago. Um, you're still in an arena. You get that full Corotta light show, but that MSG feeling of not only are you near the Northeast and so you have all these older fans and you know fans that have been around for an extended period of time, but everyone who goes in there basically knows when this band steps on stage in this venue, it's kind of on another level. So there, there's definitely something yeah. cool about being able to look down on the crowd specifically there. Um, yeah, the energy I, there is just, it's, it's crazy. I think that like West Coast Fish is so different and I haven't seen it in so yeah. long. And I'm dying to see it because I remember when I saw West Coast Fish for the first time and I was like, this is just incredible how different the vibe is because people in New York are lunatics anyway. And so like fish New Yorkers are just like extra lunatics. So like, it's just that they bring that vibe, but yeah, I'm dying to see West coast fish again. Just saying that. That's fun stuff. Um, mm-hmm. all right, let's dive into set two here. So, um, I think we're going to talk a lot about these first two songs here, but, um, running through it, we get our first, uh, caverns in seven, 18, 23, 11 show gap, which fades into Carini. Fades into Piper, fades into The Well, fades into The Howling on an 11-show gap as well, both Cavern and Howling from Night One in Wilmington. And then we fade into Taste, About to Run, Chalk Dust Torture, and then the encore contains pretty significant bust out, 120 shows since the last Frankenstein, last played on 12-7-2019 in Charleston. And then we end everything with Slave to the Traffic Light. Um, all right, set two, Meg. You you said to me before we went live, you thought this set really flowed. You really enjoyed lots of the set. Walk me through kind of your journey in this set and kind of what your overall thoughts were. I never thought they would play a slowed down Island Tour Cavern again. I didn't <laughs> know that that was like on the table. I didn't, I did not know that. Um and I love when this band makes a nod back to another historical run. You know, this is closed yeah. the last night of the Island Tour, closed set two. And it was, I think those shows, you know, wow. And I love that they're here at MSG doing this historical thing, the seven-night residency, and they're going to nod back and play this funky cavern. You know, I'm all about the funk. So for me, this was just like hitting the right spot and – my first show ever actually was 11, 14, 94, and they had like a strange cavern that night. It came out of Lomboy, and it's like mm-hmm. funky and, and different. Um, and mm-hmm. I'm listening back to that today because I didn't remember that until I looked at the jam charts and I was like, oh, yeah. So I'm going to be spinning that later today. But yeah, I think that this, you know, when I was listening to this, I was dancing like a lunatic and also just realizing like this band knows its history, you know, and sometimes they forget yes. and get the dates wrong. Like, you know, Trey, but like they know when they're doing something important. And I love this nod back. It's just, it was such a great opener. I have the exact same thoughts. I, I listening to it this morning again, I think two things. One, the, the nod back in history and the fact that this band understands their history and understands the significance of it um, is always a really just special thing as a fan, because mm-hmm. I think you have to imagine you know, these guys live and breathe writing the music and creating the music and playing the music on stage. And I have to imagine there's a certain level of like, well, I'm not going to go back and re-listen to that. I just made it. I'm going to listen to someone else who makes music that's going to inspire me. So you cannot imagine Trey 
sitting there, you know, flipping through live fish the way that we do being (laughs) like, Oh my God, remember when we did this? Like that would be a little odd, you know? Um, but for us, like that is, you know, for me, I only listen to the Island tour on the anniversaries at this point in time. Cause I just, I've listened to those shows so many times. I want them to have a little bit of specialness still where when I listen back to it, like I get that, Oh my God, I can't believe over four days, this is the type of music that happens. And the fact that it ends with, this funk riff, this funk jam that turns into Cavern and it works the whole way through. Um, so to have the band recognize that either by way of someone informing them, hey, you guys remember when you did this and it just kind of works within the residency or whatever, however they found out and and, and recreated it. It was amazing uh, and very special um, seeing here from our buddy Neil Landry saying that uh, watching people slowly realize what was happening with it on Twitter was amazing. Like that's the cool thing you get with yeah. Fish Now versus Fish 1998 is this sense of everyone's in these shows together. Even if you're not physically in the room, totally. you're, you're realizing this stuff in real time. And so you get like waves of people understanding what's happening. But the other thing that blew me away was, you know, we think about fish 97, 98 is like the peak of their funk era. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Trey will employ the wall pedal every so often here and there, but he doesn't really go down for, you know, the full fall 97 effect this band can still play that cow funk. Like it was incredible to hear how just like (laughs) tight that pocket was, how groovy Trey sounded and Paige, whenever he stands up on the cloud, I mean, I, there are moments in that cavern where I feel like we've been transported back 25 years. I was absolutely blown away. I thought it was a really, really good version. Um, and it was the kind of jam that like, is not just a, Oh my God, they played a funked out, uh, slowed down cavern a la the, um, 81409 Psycho Killer, where it's not a very good version of Psycho Killer, but it's cool that they played Psycho Killer again. And they played it in this very special show. Here, they actually like really seem to embody that uh, early 98 sentiment of the band. I felt like that a lot during times last night. I know we'll talk about this later, but definitely during uh, The Howling too, there's I love when they can take a new song and nod it back to you know a different era. And I feel like they... Mm. It is kind of amazing hearing them play. I mean, I always love when they go funky, but it's it's just it's incredible that that's still there for them and that they hold right. on to all of these different eras and are able to kind of like tap into them when they want. I think that's what's so amazing about Modern Fish, for sure. Yeah, you get that diversity of mm-hmm. um we did all of these things and now we're going to kind of throw it together into a stew and so a certain jam may have a bliss moment, it may have a funk moment, it may have a really dark kind of deconstructionalist moment um you get a sense of we have all these tools in our arsenal now and we're just going to kind of utilize them across various jams so when you get these really long jams you tend to get a lot of little bits and pieces of past fish in there which is really cool um and speaking of we go we go into carini uh carini piper the well this was a really cool segment here what were kind of your thoughts about um you know for me the big highlight of this segment was the carini but what about for you yeah, definitely. I mean, this Carini felt so much longer than 16 minutes in the venue. And it was just, it really stretched out um, and kind of like suspended time. It had such a floaty bliss feeling, but not in that like sharp focus bliss, like really loose. Similar mm. to what we were talking about yesterday with RJ, this really serene, um, like effortless kind of just beautiful space. I love how Paige brings in like the fuzzy synths against Trey's like really pure tone. 
and they land in this like really bright, like stunning kind of trilling musical space. It was really, really pretty jam. And I thought it went really well into Piper too. Trey was dancing so much during Piper while he was playing. It was so fun to watch. Like I love when Trey dances and you can just see him, like he had so much energy, you know, even Mm. at this point in the set and during Piper, uh, Kuroda was doing these things where he was making these like saturations on stage. They look like watercolors. They were like really deep sets of pools on stage, like around the band. And I hadn't really noticed that as much before. And just shout out to Kuroda. Like this rig is like unbelievable. I've never seen anything like it every year. It seems to get like more and more incredible. And the way that he's able to continually like change how he uses lights in Madison square garden is just, it's, it's so inspiring. And my friend who was there yesterday was really kind of like what stood out for her was the lights too, which was really fun to see that like someone who's new to the band really instantly recognize what Corona brings to the band and the experience. Mm. Yeah. But mm. I love the Piper had like a stop start jam too. It was really, it was fun, like just for a minute, but it was really fun. And I'll talk about the well and the howling in a minute, but I want to hear what your thoughts about Karini, especially. Uh, it was very similar. It was, it, it, I was thinking about it. Um, as I was listening to the show last night and then again this morning, we talked so much yesterday about how Trey was kind of not avoiding his pedals, but he was really mm-hmm. just like going in an opposite direction and trying to play as clean and and straightforward and really utilize um, in some of the best jams so far of the run. I think the disease, I think um, uh, the ghost from uh, 8-1, you know, you really got a sense from Trey that he was um, – really embracing just like the pureness of his guitar and not needing to, to utilize any sort of effects to really push forward. And tonight felt like a stark opposite where you got that, uh, energy, uh, meat stick ice segment that really relies on him messing around with his effects. The Carini kind of feels like a, um, kind of middle ground where it is that beautiful, transcendent bliss peak but he's also you know kind of messed around with the effects on his guitar so it sounds a little disjointed it sounds a little disordered distorted in a way that we just hadn't been hearing the last couple of shows so it was cool to hear like in real time and again it goes back to the residency comment you know in real time uh, uh, without them having to move from one venue to another and so you know new approaches may be more natural they're just kind of getting deeper and deeper into their own internal kind of creativity mm-hmm. because it allows them the sense that we don't have to go anywhere. People are just going to continue coming back here. And so, you know, we can mess around with one style tonight. We can mess around with another style tomorrow night and see kind of where that all meets uh, afterwards. I don't know, from a creative standpoint, it seems to really benefit them. And I, I found that in the Carini to be, um, you know, I don't, I don't feel as though the jam uh, it, it wasn't there for me with like, say like the Fuego, um, or, um, yeah. uh, you know, some, some earlier jams from the tour in the, in the sense that like, I felt like I was really hearing something new from the band, mm-hmm. but I also didn't really necessarily feel like I needed to. It feels like they are in a really good place right now where they, they, they know, um, kind of balanced out sonically like where where to go uh to utilize all four members to really engage each other to really have a fulfilling conversation and it feels as well from a timing standpoint that they've really fallen into a place where like 
15 to 18 minutes right now is their sweet spot where they really get a lot yeah. accomplished. They really, they really find themselves in a segment of music that is exciting for them. And then they've said their piece and they move on. And so we're getting a lot of improv throughout this run. Um, we are not getting a lot of the 20 to 30 minute jams that um, we were getting earlier on in the tour. But I also, as someone who loves the 20 plus minute jams, I also don't know if we need to because they're getting to so many places over and over and over again. Yeah, exactly. And I think that it's good for them not to push themselves and force this. You know, I think that like knowing when a jam's feeling like it's going to end. And I felt like last night, you know, that was one thing I didn't love about set two the night before was that I felt like the jams were getting kind of like cut short um, before maybe they were done with what they, their ideas. But I didn't feel like that last night. I feel like they were really kind of like, you know, being in where they were in the moment and then moving on when it was time. It never felt like... Mm -hmm. A lot of their segues last night felt really, really great in a way that that I that I felt really organic, which I loved. And I, I think the well, what was cool about the well to me was that it's it's only the third time it's been played, right? And it was my first one, yeah. but I didn't even know that because I've been thinking about it so much and like listening to it a lot. And I and I when I this morning I like looked, I was like, oh, this is the first time I heard that live. Like it didn't even occur to me because this song has already like found its place and it's already like kind of beloved. I think that like Fishman obviously really loves playing the song and is so into it. And I think I heard he did quote it in, you know, one of the jams in one of the earlier shows that I was at. So it's kind of like why I probably thought I saw it too, but it's just, it was, it works so well as the like launching pad into something next. And I think it was cool how they went into the howling, which I love. It's my favorite song off that album. It's definitely like a cool place for them to take these two new songs, like one brand new, one very new and nod back to like 97 funk, but then layer these like modern soundscapes behind it. Like the howling gets into some really cool space. They have this like swirling spooky synth vibes behind it, but then they're laying down this like sick, sick, funky groove. And it, to me, I'm here for that. I loved it. Yeah. You know, not to be the contrarian, I, I found personally. <laughs> Lay it on me, Brian. Lay it on me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think. Look, I mean, there's 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 a couple of different ways to to go about this, and I I think you know your point is really well taken. That a you're combining two very new songs, and you're yeah. combining them with ideas that um, we were talking about earlier that are kind of like the the cavern, the funk jam uh, that comes off it. These are. Uh, uh, these are ideas that the band utilized in a previous era. And so they're, they're coming back and they're, they're resurfacing in a really cool way. And a song like the howling seems to be a vessel for them to get to there. Um, I, I think two things, one, the well, clearly that oblivion are clearly the two new songs that are, those are here to stay. Those are going to be yeah. here for a very long time. I'd really like to hear a big pillow jets before the end of the MSG residency. Um, Me too. <laughs> I'd love to hear them, uh, uh, debut outside the lines, which was played at, um, uh, the Trey trio shows, but, um, Have the they well feels that like, I don't think so. Outside the lines, so I, don't, I, I don't know. It just it sounded when when they played it, it sounded like the the closest that is going to make a leap to fish. I mean, it's like a slow yeah. down golden age, and perhaps that's why they're not. Um, but <laughs> the well is definitely a keeper. I mean, that is going to be heard. That will be probably at Dick's. That will be played 
once or twice on the uh, fall tour that will be played at you know MSG presumably for the New Year's run. Any other shows yeah. they play this year, you're going to hear that on the run. Um, same with Oblivion. I found when they went into the Howling, and the Howling to me has this effect sometimes where it kind of throws a set off from the kind of creative underlying aspect of, of what is driving kind of the narrative and the arc of the set. And it kind of throws it into um, kind of setless jukebox mode. And sometimes that works really well. Um, for me, the run of the howling taste about to run chalk dust torture didn't work as well in the moment when I was listening to it and didn't work on re-listen, but I'm curious you being in there, what kind of, what, 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 what about that segment like really worked for you? Well, the flow, I mean, I thought the whole flow of the set all the way through taste was perfect. Um, I, I thought the well into the howling, that transition was magical and so fun and hearing Fishman quote, the well underneath the beginning of the howling was just, it was really fun and they were having a blast. And, you know, I think when you're in the moment, the howling is the best, like it's a huge dance party. And to me, it didn't set it off. I think that you have a song like the well that has, you know, kind of this like bright starting and then descends into this like deep, deep madness. Then to come out of that and find your way effortlessly into this like groove space to me was just, really, really cool. And I thought it worked really well. I thought it was really inspired and taste was played perfectly. And, you know, this show doesn't have a lot of cool down moments. Like it doesn't have that, like, you know, like in the, even in the first set, there's really nothing that's slow at all. And, you know, I mean, any show that you have like Axela, Carini and Frankenstein, like it's a, it's a monster feeling show. And so I was super excited to hear taste there. And that's just to me, such an old classic. And I love it when I hear it. I felt like the about to run chalk dust to me. It was fun. I love about to run and chalk dust kind of a classic opener, but or closer. But it it was okay. I think what was cool about chalk dust to me was Trey singing mostly in his lower register, kind of like reminding everyone like this is still here for me if I want it. Like Mm -hmm. we were talking about the other day, like Jonathan was saying, like I can still sing it this way. I'm choosing not to. So um, I thought especially in the last few shows, he's been really using his higher register kind of more judiciously. And I think it's like really working. Um, He's been sounding really great to me. That's kind of what what I was thinking about during Chalk Dust. But I can see that the first part of the set had such like a a strong flow that I could see how you could feel that in the end. But um, I thought it still worked really well. I want to notate a comment here that we got from our good friend, Brian, uh, over at Tenants Bias. Um, this kind of fits to a lot of what we've been talking about here and thematically mm. does a nice job closing down this uh, this episode, this, this not-so-quick hit. Um, maybe they're finally taking stock of their accomplishments and overtly acknowledging them instead of insisting of, quote, not doing the same thing again, which was their MO for decades. I think that's a really mm. interesting thought, and I think that like speaks to kind of what we're talking about here with Cavern, what we were talking about here. Um, you know, just kind of throughout uh, this summer, it is important to remember this is their 40th year. And if you go yeah. back and you listen to specifically 2013, I don't think that they were really, you know, they had the four night 20th anniversary run in 2003, but that was the first year back. There was a lot going on. There, there wasn't a ton of acknowledgement throughout that year that they were celebrating 20 years. Um, when you go back and listen to 2013, you really hear, 
you know, in moments like the Tahoe Tweezer, um, you hear it uh, in 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 the way that the rotation was really tightened up that year compared to a year earlier. It was really focused on classic songs. That fall tour feels like an extended 30th anniversary run. Um, the way that they celebrated New Year's, where they didn't play any covers, they allowed them mm-hmm. their music to speak entirely for them. Um, the Wingsuit debut, where it was this kind of um, you know, uh, this, this sentiment of, okay, we are closing the chapter on the first 30 years and we're opening the chapter on whatever's next. There is a sense here in this summer, if you think about, you know, references back to, uh, huge moments in fish history, where it almost is a sense of the band kind of looking in reverse and saying, Hey, that was really cool. Let's, let's bring that back. Hey, that was really cool. Let's bring that back. Um, I think it's an interesting thought. I don't know exactly how intentional it is on the band standpoint, but um, I definitely feel it as I'm listening to these shows in the context of it being, you know, a big celebratory year. Any thoughts from you on that? Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I think that I'd be so curious to know how much they're thinking about that and how much they're talking about that. You know, This run was clearly and continues to be clearly well thought out, whether, you know, Trey's writing set lists or not, they're clearly thinking really intently about how they're playing these shows and playing them with a fierceness that is blowing me away every night. And I think that I hope that they're taking stock and thinking back on all these things. I mean, to play that cavern kind of indicates that they are in some way and it's, it's an exciting idea because they have had so many of these kind of iconic moments that we all think about and listen back to and, and kind of hold fondly. And, you know, they do too, I think. And so it's kind of fun to see that happening in real time. And yeah, I mean, this is, yeah, I was thinking about this, this run, I think it's easy to kind of think about how it's not that historic because they did this 13 night run, but playing seven nights at Madison square garden, they've now surpassed Elton John is like, you know, playing there or whatever the second most times ever like this band is this is truly legendary and and I I think it back on like how the Grateful Dead used to do this and this is you know them cementing their place in history and in a really cool way and and I think they're finding creative ways to make every night incredible to your point about like this run versus the Baker's dozen, I was thinking about this after the August 1st show, the Tuesday night show this week, that, you know, a big theme I keep thinking about with this, this run is you're never going to top the Baker's dozen from a, you know, from a fan, you know, experience standpoint of every, every night has a surprise donut. And what does the donut mean in terms of songs that are going to be played? And so there are new cover songs that are introduced and there's moments like the jam filled show where like, Oh my God, everything is on the table to be jammed out. So if you're never going to like top that in terms of the extremes that that run went to, 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 to make it kind of a playground for all things fish, just forget about that and just Mm -hmm. relax and embrace being in a residency and have zero pressure. And this run to me, from the outside, I'd be curious for you from the inside feels like a band with zero pressure that there's nothing to prove it's someone's probably going to take this the wrong way. So whatever, it's just (laughs) another MSG run, you know, in a sense, like, like there's, and this is not to say there's nothing special happening here, but like they were almost approaching this as like, Hey, we just have seven shows at MSG. We're going to play it, you know, high, high level because it's MSG. It's the end of the tour. All those things are meeting, but it really does feel as though like, this is just fish at Madison square garden. And that what, what more could you ask for? And, and 
because of that, these shows have some really interesting moments in them, some really interesting segments, and people like yourself are are suffering for it. You are exhausted. <laughs> um, you are you are filled with joy. It is all a blur. In three weeks, you're going to be texting us like, "Oh my god, I forgot that this happened on night four, exactly. whatever it might be." Um, and that's kind of the joy of it. Yeah, and I think to that point, fish doesn't need a gimmick to right. crush a residency at Madison Square Garden. They don't. They can just come out and play like the fucking rock stars that they are. And, you know, you guys knew it, that there wouldn't be a theme. I don't know why you're always right. It's kind of annoying. But it they didn't need one. And I'm glad they didn't because it's it's really showing that they can stand on their own two legs without some sort of like conceit to give them some, you know, frame or lens. They can just come out and destroy every night. And somehow they are. I I don't know how they're continuing to deliver at this level every night. It's so exciting. And I can't wait until I hear Catapult this week. If they play Catapult, that would be very – first. would be the first Catapult, I believe, since Dick's Night 3, 2021. Uh, great, yeah, and I've never great, seen it. Great so I've only would, seen it I twice. Like see that. I just want them to hold the uh, the Albuquerque for dicks. If anyone in the fish yeah. uh, organization is 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 listening, just please hold Albuquerque for dicks. There is someone who will be attending dicks who would really like to see Albuquerque. It's like that um, day in the life I don't ever want to see again. Like until you like, I just feel bad if I'd see it and you weren't there. Like it would just feel really yeah. bad to me. <laughs> a day in the life at dicks would be that would be essential. That would be amazing. Um, I feel like Albuquerque, you have to play at dicks, not at MSG, just because of like. It's such a West Western Coast air. And kind yeah, of, yeah, the, the it's just like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so we have two shows left, mm-hmm. I think. I think. I'm still convinced that on Saturday they're going to be like, hey, we're playing a free show in Central Park. Come if you want to. <laughs> um, I just cannot. I, cannot I can't take it. I'd be so tired. For the I'm life like- of me, understand how we're not playing a Sunday night show to close out this run. I'm not complaining. I just, I, logistically, I just can't. I just can't imagine. But Brian, I um, want to go see Oppenheimer on Sunday. I mean, I need like a day off. I'm going to like go see a really long movie and sit in the dark and like not talk. So I need, I need that day off. <laughs> I cannot wait to hear your thoughts on Oppenheimer. Um, Wow, you just you you turned this not so quick hit into a long hit because I have so many thoughts to share right now. But I have to wait until you see the movie. This is, this is um, you and me, Brian. We could go. We could go all day. We with could this just keep quick going. Hit. <laughs> I do want to just say, looking at what's left, I have just a short list of songs that are left Ooh, on the table okay. here for the final two nights because I was thinking about it. You know. If they're not going to repeat songs, we've got some big songs left. Um, these are really just looking at jam vehicles because okay. that's you know how I how I I think. Um, we've got "Set Your Soul Free" left. We've got "Everything's Right" left. We've got "Soul Planet," "Tweezer," "Mr. Completely," a song I heard the ocean sing, "Sand." Mm. Pillow Jets mm. and Mike's Groove. And these are just songs that I have in my larger top jams of the year list that is ongoing and constantly being edited in a annoying fashion for both myself and everyone who has shared on the note. It's um, not annoying at all. It's so fun. It's just it's just it's just <laughs> neurotic. Um <laughs> but just thinking about, you know, big songs that we have left on the table that the band has not yet played here in MSG, my conclusions to that is that we are in for a really engaging, exciting, fascinating final two nights of this overall run. Um, Meg, what shows are you going to? Yeah, I'll be going to the next two. And wouldn't it be funny if they did like a set two that was like, everything's right, 
Soul Planet, Set Your Soul Free, like a three-song second set of just like songs that everybody bitches about all the time. That would be so amazing. So I will go on record here with that. Um, there are certain people that really value set lists. I am not one of them. Um, personally speaking, I do not care what songs the band plays. I do not care if they are new songs or if they are old songs, if they are, quote, bad songs or if they are great songs. My biggest driving factor is always the jam and the flow. And if those two yeah. things uh, are combined there, um, I would I would love a second set of that. Not simply believe, because I, I, I'm a huge fan of New Fish, but also because those three songs have led to huge, huge moments in the band's improv over the last couple of years. And I would have to imagine that those three songs together in a 65, 75 minute long segment of music would be uh, completely remarkable. So I'm it's game. So awesome. um, Me too. Totally, totally game on that. Um, Meg, you got any last thoughts about uh, August 2nd here before we send all of our lovely listeners on their way? No, I just had a great time. I hope everybody else did. And I'm just so grateful I get to talk to you about the show last night. It was so fun. And I can't wait to do it again. Likewise, give us all one last reminder of where to find the HF Pod uh, 10th anniversary party on Saturday. Um, OsirisPod.com slash uh, actually, I don't know what the slash is. Just go to osirispod.com and you'll find the tickets link. And um, we're going to be at the bitter end on Saturday, on August 5th, the last night of MSG. We're going to be pre-gaming there. We're done at five. So you have plenty of time to go uptown, get some food. We will be at the bitter end and we're going to be having a great party and we'd love to see all of you there. It's a great way to support the pod. If you're in town it would mean a lot to us. Can't wait to hear all about that and hear the pod. Uh, you guys all have a wonderful Thursday here. Everyone who is going to the last couple of shows, uh, get some get some rest. It's it's essential. Um, Megan, you that goes for you as well. Please get some rest. You need to. Let me try. You need to come down from the high of being at Fish and get ready for for the final two shows. There's a lot happening, and um, we will see you guys all back here. Uh, we'll do the quick hit for Friday at the Bitter End show, and then Sunday we'll be back at an undetermined time to discuss the final night at MSG. Thanks, everyone. Hope you guys have a great Thursday. We'll talk with you soon. Thanks, everyone. everyone i'm hal schwartz and i'm flynn mcclain together we host none but the brave a podcast dedicated to the music and career of bruce springsteen bruce and e street band are on tour right now for the first time in six years and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi-weekly episodes we've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests including rock journalist warren zanes and stephen hyden backstreet's magazine founder charles cross and barstool's kirk Menahan. If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Nimba the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much! We'll be seeing you! 
Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast.